Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Keith Craft. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. Hey, if you're a guest with us, we invite you to stand and put your hand over your heart and let's make some declarations together. Say this with me. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today, I open up my mind to receive the Word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up holy hands, say it with me. Come, Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, give the people that are watching right now live on Facebook, YouTube, wherever they're watching, thank you guys so much. Love you. Y'all love on somebody. Would you do that on your way down? Tell them they're looking good. Just for the next few moments, I want to talk to you about, about the love of God. I want to talk to you. We've been in this Rhythm of Life series, and, and there's one thing about, about rhythm that I want you to get. I thought when I started this series that I was going to get to go a lot further in it, and maybe we'll come back to it in 2018, But because I've got a lot to say about this. Uh, we're also through my uh, masterminds and, and coaching. We're going to be releasing some of this as it relates to the will of life leadership and, and rhythm and routine. And so that's going to be a great thing. And some of them are in this room. But, uh, but I just want to tell you that, that I got hung, hung up, if I can say that, in the most positive sense, on love. That I believe right now in the world that the greatest need the world has is love. Come on. Does anybody agree with me on that? And so... so you know, in, in talking about the rhythm of life, it's really the rhythm of love. It's us aligning our hearts for what God's heart beats for. And so that's why we've taken a little bit of extra time today. But for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about, about really loving all the way. That when, when Jesus was asked by a lawyer, he went to him, two different lawyers at two different times. One said, uh, what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And uh, and, and Jesus didn't bat an eye. He didn't say, hey, just go look at the Ten Commandments, and they're all important. You know, I mean, I would think that Jesus would have said, have no other gods before me, that that would be the greatest commandment, right? But that's not what he said. He didn't refer to the Ten Commandments. He said, listen, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love all the way, with all your soul, all your emotions, all your strength, all your physical. In other words, learn to love God, spirit, soul, and body. And, and so... And then he said the second, the second commandment is as important as the first, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. And so at another point, we find that Jesus, uh, at another time, a, a lawyer comes to him. And they're, 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 they're saying it to test him, but also just to, in their own process. Okay, God, what's most important to you? What's the most important commandment? Then the, the second lawyer asked him a question. He said, I want to ask you this question. He said, uh, how can I inherit eternal life? So this is interesting. You would think that Jesus would say, well... Just make sure, you, you know, that, that you ask God to forgive you of your sins. But that's not what he said. The same answer of what's most important to God is also what's most important to us to inherit eternal life. And you say, what is that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And by the way, the second is as important as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when I started just really thinking about this, and God was taking me on my own journey with this, about the rhythm of love as it relates to the, the most important rhythm in our life. By the way, the most important physical rhythm that you have right now is your heart that's beating. It's either in rhythm or out of rhythm. Number one a disease, a killer among Americans is, is heart disease, usually arrhythmia. 
Things happen in our life that cause our heart to get out of rhythm, whether it's, it's through crisis or situations or enough brokenness or enough stress or whatever that our, our heart just gets out of rhythm. And so, so, so supernaturally, it's the same thing, that God wants us to have a heart for him. So he says, love me with all your heart. And so I started thinking in my mind, why would God want us to love him all the way, love him with all of our heart? Like, why, why isn't it enough just to love? Like, why isn't it enough just to love my wife? Why isn't it enough just to love my kids? Why isn't it enough just to, hey, I love you. Hey, I love you too. So if I tell you I love you and you tell me I love you back, how deep does that love go? How extravagant is that love? How unfailing is that love? How committed is that love? How unconditional is that love? And so again, all of us have said I love you to people that are not necessarily in our life anymore. All of us have had things that have happened where we've, we've put our love out there and our love's been broken, our heart's been broken. And so what is it that Jesus was saying? Why is it important that we love him all the way? And as I begin to really mind my own soul in this, God, like, why would you say this? Take a look at your notes. When we love God all the way, you are learning to love God's way. So part of God's mindset is, I want you to learn to love me all the way because that's how I love. I love you all the way. There's, the Bible says there's no height nor depth. There's no angels or principalities. There's nothing on earth or outside the earth, under the earth, above the earth. There's, there's no tribulation, persecution. There's, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That, that his love goes deeper than any hate. His love goes deeper than any hurt. His love goes further than any sin. In other words, he's trying to teach us, I want you to lay yourself out there. I want you to learn to love me all the way because I want you to love the way I love. That's what I want you to do. As I was thinking about this, I, I came across a story that, that so illustrates this. And it's a simple story, but it's a story about a little boy named Mark. He was an 11-year-old orphan who lived with his aunt. She was bitter. She was middle-aged. She was greatly annoyed because of the burden of caring for her dead sister's son. She never failed to remind Mark that if it hadn't been for her generosity, he'd be a vagrant, he'd be homeless. Still, with all the scolding and the chilliness that was in that home, he was a sweet, gentle child. Mark's school teacher had not noticed him in particular until he began staying after class each day to help her straighten up the room. He wasn't asked to do this. He just started serving. He just started doing it. He's 11 years old, and obviously it got her attention. They didn't talk very much, but... When Mark did talk, he talked mostly about his mother. He was small when she died, but he would recount how she was kind and gentle and loving and how she always spent so much time with him. But Christmas began to come, and as it drew near, Mark failed to stay after school each day, and so his teacher had always looked forward to him coming, not because she had asked him, but because he always showed up, and she noticed that he wasn't there. And one day she called him after class, and she said, well, why did you start, you stopped coming to, to class? And he said, well, because Christmas is coming and I've got something that's going to be a surprise for you. So finally, the last day of school came before Christmas and Mark crept slowly into the room. It was late in the afternoon. His hands were concealing something behind his back. And he said, I have a present for you and I hope you like it. And he held out his hands and there lying in the palm of his hand was a little box. I hope you like it. The teacher said, it's beautiful. What, what is it? Is there something inside it? He said, oh, you're not going to be able to see it. You're not going to be able to touch it, taste it, or feel it. But my mother always said to me 
that what's inside this box will make you feel good all the time, warm on cold nights, safe when you're all alone. And the teacher looked into the box and said, what is it? What is it that'll make me feel so good? And Mark, the 11-year-old, the orphan, the unwanted child by his own aunt said, it's love. My mother gave me this box and she said, it's best when you give it away and so I'm giving you this box. You know, so oftentimes we, we hear about the cross and we hear about how Jesus died on a cross for us and he did. And we hear about how Jesus gave all he had. He loved us all the way. He loved us all the way to the cross and he took our sin and he took our shame and he took our guilt and he, he nailed it to a cross. But we don't hear much about the empty grave. I'm so excited because I'm going to join about 75 people from our church in Israel. In about two weeks, we leave and we're going to, we're going to stand at that empty box, at that empty grave. And we're going to be reminded that that grave speaks life, that that grave speaks love, that that grave speaks possible in our impossible circumstances, that that, gr that grave speaks that there is life after death, that that grave speaks not just about our temporary situation, but about our eternal purpose. We're going to stand at that grave and we're going to celebrate together as Elevate Life Church, an empty tomb where his bones were never found, where his body was never found because he's not just another leader of a religion. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he, the resurrection and the life. He's Jesus. And when I think about this story and I think about this little boy, his most prized possession from his mother was an empty wooden box of invisible love that every time you open that box, remember this. This week I was walking through the offices just loving on everybody and, and uh, Pastor Jeremy was in his office and I walked in, there's this huge cross with Jesus on it with the inscription, you know, in Latin over, and I mean, it's huge. And he said, somebody gave this to my dad, my dad gave it to me, and I'm going to hang it up here. I said, man, that's awesome, but don't show Pastor Sheila. No, I said, in fact, show Pastor Sheila. And then I told him this story. I said, you know, I've always celebrated Sheila on the 20th. Y'all, you guys know that if you've been around our church. This last September 20th was 500 months we've been together, y'all. Been kissing those same lips. 500 months, and it's been better and better and better. But when we were about 16 years of age, I wanted to get her, give her a gift. And you know, when I think about why God loves us and why he wants us to love all the way, because God is love. That's what the Bible says. That's how God describes himself. God is love. So I'm going to change the name God, but Keith is love. God so loved that he gave. Keith so loved that he gave. In other words, why would God want us to love all the way? Because he wants us to become givers. That everything that we've been the beneficiary of, don't just take it for yourself and buy a boat and buy a house and do you, what the people in the world do. Just you're for and no more and stock up and store up. And where the Bible says moths and rust does corrupt. And just as, as riches come, they fly away as quick as an eagle flies. But I think about that, that what, why does God want us to love all the way? Because he wants us to learn to be givers like him. He wants us to be his sons and daughters on the earth, to be like him, to love the way he loves. And so when I was about 16, 
we were, Sheila and I were 16, we were dating, and I wanted to give her a gift. So y'all, we were in Louisiana, and in Louisiana, there's a little place called Service Merchandise. I don't know if anybody remembers Service Merchandise. Anybody remember Service Merchandise? They got about the cheapest jewelry you can get, and I was glad for that when I was 16, because I didn't have a lot of money. And so I went and I bought her something. I was so excited. You know, and when you're a gift giver, those of you that are gift givers, you'll know what I'm talking about. You want people, no matter what the gift is, you want them to open the gift and go, that's like the greatest thing I've ever received in my life, no matter what it is. And so how many gift givers I have here? You're a gift giver, like, you, like a man. You want people to be excited. It just, and, and, and not, it's, look, you're not giving it so what you get back, right? So, so when she opened it, she goes, oh, oh, that's so nice. Now, let me just tell you, those of you that aren't gift givers, let me just tell you that when you receive a gift, faint praise will kill anything. It's like, I remember one time I bought Sheila a new car. I was so excited about the car, I knew she would love. I brought home the car and I said, I got you a new car. And she goes, that, that's so nice. But what'd you do with my other car? I thought, oh my goodness. Anyway, so I should have known because we were 16. She goes, that's this, it's so sweet of you to get this gift. I just can't accept it. I go, why? You see, what I'd bought her is I'd bought her a cross with Jesus on it. And so at 16, she looks at me right in the eye and she goes, because Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. I went, okay, well, like, can we, can we do something else? Like, you want to exchange it for a cross without Jesus? I mean, what is it? That you, that you want to do. So you know what? You're not going to believe this. Today, Pastor Precious brought her, stand up here. She brought her old jewelry box. This box is filled with treasures <laughs> from when we were dating. Yes. All the stuff in here is worth probably about $25. <laughs> but it's filled with stuff that I bought her. And so talk, talk a little bit about like, t- talk about that day first of all. Am I telling the truth? Yes. So when he gave it to me, I I did tell him that. So he said, well, I'll go back and find a cross that doesn't have Jesus on it. Well, when he went back, he did not find a cross. I couldn't find a cross for 1999 without Jesus on it. The 1999 ones had Jesus on them. And the ones that without Jesus were about 25.99. So he sent me back to go look since he didn't know what to get me. That would make me happy. So this little rose right here has a ruby, little tiny chip of a ruby on it, and so a I little pick, chip. <laughs> so you can't even see we've, it. We've made up for the, yes. uh, the ruby chip. Anyway, yes. go ahead. So, so they, they get tangled together. But we started early with little things. So, so, so then eventually I got a cross a without Jesus in it, and it does have a diamond chip in it. It has a chip. <laughs> we, don't do, we don't do chips anymore. Chips are not enough. Okay. And this is another one, and... It says love. All right. And so, so I want and you to do one more thing. And then my ring is in yeah, there. Yeah. So, so in this in bo- box. Yeah. So this, we were, we, were, we were, it was the same year. We were 16 years old. It was getting serious. And, and we were on the beach in Destin. you cannot see. Listen, you cannot That's see That's not even this. a chip. There's not even a chip of a diamond. It's like, hold it up to your other one. No. Anyway, so, so this, hey. I've got, some, I've got some good news for you guys. Greater things are yet to come. This is where we started right here. But that was your promise ring, and I kept my promise. And I, I did get a little bit bigger one. That's a birthstone. Birthstone. 
That's okay. awesome. Thank you. Thank you for bringing your jewelry box. Isn't that the coolest thing, though? I mean, I just, I just love that. But, but the fact is, is that she didn't want my cross with Jesus on it. And when I, think about, when I think about God's love and when I think about how God wants us to love him all the way, what is it? Why is it that he wants us to do that? Because he wants us to love how he loves. He wants us to learn to love other people how he loves. You know, there's a story in John the 8th chapter, and you know the story. It was about a woman. The Bible says that they brought a woman who'd been caught in, in an adultery. In fact, the Bible says very clearly... In the very act. So I don't know how that happens, but it's like, let's wait and watch and see what they're going to do. And then let's catch him in the act. This is the Bible. He, he, he goes, the Bible says, as a roaring lion, he walks about seeking whom he may devour. She's caught. And so they brought her and they threw her at the feet of Jesus. And all these accusers are standing around. And they said, she was caught in the very act. Of adultery. And I love what the Bible says. Listen to this. He says he stoops down and writes on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. Put that up there, guys. They're making these accusations. This person did this. This person did this. And this is like, what is it about people? What is it, what is it in our natural nature without God that we have hate and we want to point out people's weaknesses and we want to judge other people and we want to condemn them when they're at their lowest. What is it? Does it make us feel better? Like, does it make us feel better when we point somebody else's sin out and yet we've got one finger pointing that way and this one and this one and this one and this one is pointing back at me and yet somehow we don't even realize that God says, I want you to love me all the way because, listen, don't just love me that way. Love me that way so you can learn to love other people that way. You, can, you, you, you won't point somebody's weakness out. You won't point what they did wrong out. You, you see, here's what forgiveness really is. You know, in, forgiveness is not just saying I forgive you. Watch this. Forgiveness in your future when you say you forgive somebody, watch this now, is never telling anybody again in your future what they did. If you want to know if you've forgiven somebody, it's when you have to stop explaining what they did that hurt you. That's when you've forgiven. You can say, oh, I forgive them, but you, you can't believe what they did. You haven't forgiven. You forgive when you quit repeating the offense. Even when somebody says, well, tell me about that. What, why do people, why do people, why does our flesh, let me tell you why our flesh likes that. Because it makes us feel better about what we're not. So they throw this lady at Jesus' feet and says, so he, he I love what the Bible says. He, start, he, he doesn't even acknowledge him. He stoops, he begins to write something in the ground as he did not even hear them. Let me tell you about what happens when you make accusations towards people. You don't get God's ear. Some, some people can't figure out why God doesn't answer their prayers. It's because on the other side, they're accusing that person. They're condemning that person. They're, they're, they're bitter about that. And they can't figure out why God doesn't hear them and is maybe stooping on the ground and getting in the dirt with the woman who was caught. And whatever he was writing, he stood up and he said, those of you without sin cast the first stone. And then he felt that he needed to stoop down again. And he stooped down and began to write something in the dirt. We still don't know what he, write, he wrote. But there's some theologians that say maybe he was writing people's names that were in the crowd and their sin. And going, by the way, this, hey, 
Like, do you really want to go down this road? Because this is you. So whatever he was writing, the Bible says, from the oldest to the youngest or from the wisest to the most unwise, they left. Pretty soon all the accusers are gone and Jesus stands up and he looks at the woman. He says, hey, where are the people that were accusing you? He said, I don't know. He goes, are they here? She goes, no. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. God wants us to love like that. I said, God wants us to love like that. I said, God wants us to love like that. The Bible says in Galatians, this is how we're supposed to act as believers. By the way, how many of you would rather go through somebody, go through life with somebody that's a believer in you than somebody that doesn't believe in you? All right? So, so this is why we love God. We love God all the way because God believes in us all the way, even when he made covenant with us, even when he knew that we couldn't keep our end of the bargain. But he says, I'm going to love you all the way and be that kind of person that loves all the way. Not I will love you if you keep your commitment. I love you if you do more right than you do wrong. I love you if, I love you if you don't. I love you if you won't hurt me that. I love you if you want... He says, love me all the way so you can love people all the way. That's why we need God's help to do it. Because I would rather go through life with believers than unbelievers. You say, what does that mean? Not just people that don't believe in God, but if you don't believe in God, God is love. So do you really believe in love? It's an old church song that goes like this. Do you believe in love? Do you believe in love? Do you believe in love? If you haven't met God because God is love and he so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, now he says, now go love other people. How can you know what real love is? Love is very conditional until God gets involved. So here's how we're supposed to behave if we're believers. Any believers in the house? If a man is overtaken, Galatians 6.1 says, in any trespass, doesn't qualify the trespass, if he's overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual in that moment, you restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you should be tempted. You know that your temptation might be different than somebody else because you may not, let's just talk about physically for, for a second. You might not be as attractive as somebody else. So the more attractive somebody else is, their level of temptation may be a little different than your level of temptation. You may not have women coming up to you all the time. You may not have men hitting on you all the time. So it's very easy to judge somebody who may be whatever, a little more physically attractive, and say, wow, I don't, I don't know how somebody could ever do that. Well, until you're that, you don't know. Some people have never been hit on. And can I just tell you this? Don't judge people that get hit on. Because here's the reality. It's not just about attraction. It's about understanding that there's something in all of us that wants more. We want more. And we have to, we have to understand the answer to even our own lust, the answer to even our own wants is found in the love of God. I said the love of God. It's very easy to judge somebody that has money when you don't have money. And that's what Judas did. When the woman who, who didn't even have a lot of money, but she, she broke her alabaster box and it was more than a year's worth wages, what does Judas say? What does a Luciferian spirit say? What does a judgmental spirit say? 
He's one of Jesus' disciples. All of a sudden, he starts judging the woman, and he says, look at her. How, I mean, how sensual is this? She's, she's broke the alabaster box over Jesus' feet. How inappropriate. She, he was an invited guest into somebody's house, and this woman comes and breaks an alabaster box over and begins to wipe him with her hair. There's nothing in that day more sensual than that. And so all of a sudden, all the judging comes, why, why, why would she do that? She's, what is she even doing here? Like she's just, she's just trying to show out in front of Jesus. And look at that, that's a year's worth salary. And here's what Judas said, that money could have been spent for something to feed the poor. And I'll just ask you the question now that you know the end of the story. You think Judas cared about the poor? Then why would Judas judge it? It's so easy for us. How are we supposed to behave? Here's how we're supposed to behave. Treat people with gentleness and kindness and mercy. And when they fall into a pit that maybe you haven't fallen into, do your best if you're in their circle to help them get back out and to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. That's God's love. And try to understand Understand what? That everybody's in a different place. Your temptation is, listen, Sheila and I couldn't, we couldn't be further apart in our temptations. I don't even think she has temptations. I don't know. I am a tempted man. I'm just telling you, I am. She is just this spiritual, she can't even receive a cross with Jesus on it. I mean, I forgot. How do you marry something like that? Oh, I can't receive this gift. The Christ who has been risen is no longer on the cross. Oh, I'm sorry. <sighs> Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Just let's love him all the way so that, watch this, that even when people who have different kinds of temptation than we have or fall in different ways, that we would never fall because we're so much more integrous. Whatever it is, here's the bottom line. We need the love of God. We need the love of God. Why would Jesus, why, why, why does God want us to love him all the way? Why would Jesus say love, love all the way? Here's the second thing and the last thing in your notes. When you love all the way, you learn to want God's way. You, what, what do you want today? You know, in my coaching, again, separate from this church, but in, when I coach CEOs, when I coach small business owners, when I coach people, uh, one of the things that we talk about is really defining what it is that you want because only you can know what it is that you want. What kind of marriage do you want? What kind of business do you want? What kind of relationships do you want? What kind of family do you want? Now, why is your want so important? Not because it's all about you, but watch this. Whatever it is that I want, my wants are different than yours too. Whatever it is that I want, then I have to align my attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors to get what I want. Does everybody understand that? That's what makes want so important. So it doesn't matter what you want. The bottom line is God wants you to love him all the way. Watch this. So that you will want what God wants for you. If God created you, he created you with a purpose in mind. You know, I think about Aggie's parents that are sitting here. I mean, when she's 16 and she's in all her craziness and in her rebellion and she's disrespectful and she's disobedient and she's all whatever she was, 
for you to be sitting here five years later with tears in your eyes applauding a daughter that not only God has restored, but now he's going to use in a foreign country? I mean, is God God or what? I mean, that's what's so powerful. So that's what we have to believe about people along the way, especially those that are close to us. And you know what I know about our parents? They turned her over to God. God, we don't know what to do, so we turn her over to you. And sometimes that's what we have to do with people. It's like, God, I turn that person over to you, but not get into hate, not get into negativity, not get into bitterness and unforgiveness. What if they, what if they weren't here today? What if they said, you know what, Aggie? We know, we know the real you. We know what you did. Nobody here knows what you did. Nobody, nobody knows how disrespectful you were to us. Nobody knows what we, all, that we raised you in church. We raised you right. We did our best. And you walked out. And if they held on to that today, they wouldn't be a part of this divine celebration today. And so many people go through life and what happens is somebody really did that. Somebody really did break my heart. Somebody really did do me wrong. Somebody really did disrespect me. Somebody really did dishonor me. Can I tell you, if you will turn them over to God, I don't know how he does it, but somehow maybe because of your prayers, they make their way back to the house of God and he brings restoration and the latter is greater than the former. Can I tell you the ladder of your marriage is going to be greater than the former. The ladder of your business is going to be greater than the former. That's the kind of God we serve. Yes. Why do we need to love God all the way? Because God wants certain things for us. Take a look at your notes. What does God want for you? He wants you to be great. Y'all look at me because I could, could have said something a lot worse. He wants you to be humble. Well, doesn't, doesn't God want us to be humble? You know what people, listen very carefully. What people who don't know under the, uh, who don't understand the great love of God for them, what they don't understand is God greatly loves you because he wants you to greatly love and he wants you to be great. God wants you to be great. We preached in the intimacy series that God wants you to be the best version of you. Long story short, here's the bottom line. God wants you to be great. I love what French writer Alex Du Tocqueville said. He visited America in 1831. He said, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, in her ample rivers, in her fertile fields, in her boundless forest, and it was not there. I sought for America's greatness in her rich minds, in her vast world commerce, in her public school system, in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for America's greatness in her democratic Congress and in her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Can I tell you that it's the same thing for each one of us? What makes your family great is your greatness. What makes 
makes this country great is your greatness. What makes anything that you're involved in great is because of your greatness. And the only reason America is not greater is because the people aren't greater. The only reason the business is not greater is because the people aren't greater. God says, I want you to be great because I want to do great things in the earth. And you've got to get into a place where that greatness is stirred on the inside of you. Can I just say, welcome to Elevate Life Church. We are an incubator of greatness. And if you choose, God will take you higher. He'll take you further. He'll take you to places that you've never been and some of you that you've never dreamed. God wants you to be great. Look at somebody and say, God wants you to be great. Now, here's the second thing that's going to be hard to say. Live up to it. Don't let yourself off the hook. Don't say, oh, greatness is not for me. No, it is for you. Matthew 20. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, and they knelt down and they asked him. And he said to her, what do you want? God's asking that question to you today. What do you want? Well, I just want my bills to pay it off. You're thinking too small. What do you want? I want that lawsuit to go away. You're thinking too small. What do you want? I want the dinar. I, I'm about to wallpaper my house with dinar. I want the dinar to cash out, and then I'll pay for this church. What do you want? Whatever it is, if it doesn't allow, align with God's want, it's too small. What do you want? I want that deal to go through. What do you want? I want more clients. You see, whatever it is, if it's not, if your answer is not, I want what God wants, it's too small. And so the enemy's trap is to get you wanting too small. Because God wants you to be great. And anything that's associated with you is going to be great. Let me prophesy that over you right now. Anything associated with you is going to be great. And it's going to be great because of you. He said, what do you want? She said, grant that my two sons may sit on one your right side and one on your left in the kingdom. Why would, she, why would a mom ask that? What was her perception? I just want one sitting on your right and one sitting on your left because whatever comes off of you gets on them. I was coaching a guy recently and he's a big money guy. I said, okay, listen, I'm happy to help you go to, you can grow to your next level. I said, but I want in. Like I want to do what you do. I want to be a part of what you, see, here's, a, here's what this mom saw. Even though her sons couldn't see it. It's like the mom saw, just get as, listen, get as, listen, get as, everybody listen, get as close to Jesus as you can. So here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm not sure you know what you ask. In fact, I know you don't know really what you're asking for because you're not able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. They said, no, we are able. He said, okay, then indeed you will be baptized with the same baptism that I'm. If you want what I want, then you will. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand, that's not mine to give. But let me just talk to all y'all. And before he could talk to the other 10, they were mad. You know why they were mad? Watch this. They were mad not just because of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, 
that they asked to be sitting next to Jesus, they were mad because the mother asked. Why, why do people get mad? Listen, listen to me now. Because some of y'all been on the mad side of it. Why do people get mad about people striving to be great and call it ego and call it ambition and call it unholy? Why do people get mad about it? Because when you're striving to do something that other people aren't striving to do, all they can do is judge it and watch you go like this. That's why. I said, that's why. So it's very easy to get negative and critical about people that are trying to be a mover and a shaker to make something happen. Oh, look, it's all about them. The 10 were upset, and Jesus said, okay, let me talk to you all about something. There's these rulers, they lord over you, they exercise authority. It's not going to be that way with you. Watch this now. But whoever desires to become great, he's not saying that the desire to become great is wrong. In fact, God wants you to be great. So whoever desires to become great, let him become your servant. Whoever desires to be first. How many of y'all have ever desired to be first at anything? Those of you who aren't raising your hands, Lord, just forgive them. I just cast out a spirit of lying. I'm going to ask you one more time. I'm going to give you a chance not to go to hell. How many of you have wanted to be first? Let me just see your hands. Listen, I've always wanted to be the favored son in my family, but I'm not. My brother is, and I'm good with it. I love that. I love that my mom adored it. My mom might be watching. Mom, I know. Just know I know I'm good with it. Like I'm how many of y'all in your family, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know the favorite son. It's okay. Because guess what? I'm God's favorite. Until Sheila shows up. Then she puts a sign in our kitchen, and it's in stone that says, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. So I get reminded about it all the time. Everybody loves Sheila. Everybody loves my brother. And then God says, now you go change the world. I said, you go change the world. It doesn't matter if you're anybody's favorite or if you're first, but Jesus said it's okay to want to be first. It's okay to want to be the fastest. It's okay to want to be the richest. Let me rewind that. It's okay to want to be the richest. It's okay to want to succeed. It's okay to want to build a great business. It's okay to want to have a great family. It's okay to reach your full God-given potential. Can I tell you, because God wants you to love Him because He wants you to want what He wants and He wants you to be great. And He wants you to be great so much that He says, if that's what you want, then be like me. Become a servant. Become a servant. I think about Leif Angel, who's on the front row here. For 14 years, served in our church, led our servant leaders faithfully. I kept prophesying over Leif, someday you're going to be a pastor with us. Man, I just think you're supposed to be in ministry with us. Today, he helps lead our servant leaders here. This guy's sitting here, and you know what? He looks like he's the picture of health, and he is. He had two kidneys. He decided, hey, I can do without one. And he gave one away to somebody that was in our church. Can I, can I just tell you this? Listen, it's on the back of your notes, but, but I want you to look. S- servant leadership. It's a noble ascent of your mind and your heart to live a life with a transcendent cause. It's born out of a grateful heart expressed through a spirit of generosity. Servant leadership is one's life that becomes a sacred despoilment of mediocrity. Can I tell you, if there's one thing I don't want to be in life, it's mediocre. I don't want to be be a mediocre husband. Is that okay with you, Sheila? I don't want to be a mediocre dad. Is that okay with you, Josh? I don't want to be a, be a mediocre friend. Is that okay with you, Scott, Uncle Back, wherever you are? Is that okay, Dave, along with you? I don't want to be a mediocre friend. I'm going to go all the 
way. I don't want to be, be a mediocre giver. I don't want to be somewhere in the middle. I'm not on the CB in 1970 going, I'm just sitting in the rocking chair. Somebody's taking the lead. I'm not last. I'm just in the middle. Maybe I won't get a ticket. Can I tell you, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that's creating the draft. I want to be the guy that's going up the mountain. I want to be the guy that says, hey, come on, we can do more together. It's not about me. It's about we. So God says, you know what? If you want to be great, that's great. Because I want you to be great. But the pathway to greatness is through serving others. And when you serve, you lead. And it's not about being paid or unpaid. It's about having a heart of generosity. Our church is built on servant leadership. Many people in our church employ people. And I want to talk to them right now. Don't you want to employ somebody that serves way beyond their pay grade? Don't you want to employ somebody that creates a place of indispensability that causes long-term growth in what you're doing because they, they roll like an owner? Every person who employs people and who owns companies knows exactly what I'm talking about. The best people that we have are people that live, walk, and act like they own it. In other words, they take responsibility even when they're not given the authority. So many people wait for the authority and then they'll take responsibility. Can I tell you something? Don't be ever be one of those people. If you have, repent to God. This is, I've got all the responsibility and no authority. No, let me tell you something. You've got authority from God to operate in the responsibility that God's given you and, and promotion, the Bible says, doesn't come from the east or the west or the south, but it comes from the north. God knows your heart of servitude. And guess what? If that boss doesn't recognize you, don't complain. Don't be negative about it. Just know someday you might be his boss. So it's getting that spirit on the inside of you that says, guess what? God wants me to be great. So I'm going to spend my life serving other people. Maybe you're here in our church and you're not plugged in anywhere. We set up some tables out in the lobby. I called last night. I said, hey, I just want to give people an opportunity to find out how they can get plugged in. You know why? Because I believe your greatest alignments, let me rewind that. I believe your greatest alignments, let me rewind that. I believe your greatest alignments are going to be made in the house of God because God's got some great assignments in your future. Here's the last thing. God wants us to love him all the way because he wants us to want what he wants. He wants us to be great so we can help make other people great. Help make our boss great. Help make our spouse great. Help make our children great. Help make our friends great. Help make our enemies great. But also God wants you to see wonderful things. You say, where do you get that? God wants me to see wonderful things. Look what the Bible says. Your eyes haven't seen your ears haven't heard. It hasn't even entered into your mind the imagination of what God has prepared for those that love Him. Oh, what's that little part right there for those that what? So when I love God all the way, it's part of me seeing what I've never seen, hear what I'm never hearing, imagine what I've never imagined before. And look what the Bible says. But it was to us that God revealed these things by the Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and He shows us God's deep secrets. How many of y'all want some, some deep secrets from God? Come on. He runs the whole universe on an axis that you can't see. His mercies are new, new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. 
No one can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. Next verse. And we have received God's spirit. Everybody say, thank you, God. Not the world's spirit so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given to us. Can I just announce and prophesy over your life? Wonderful things are coming your way. Wonderful things are coming your way. Wonderful things are coming your way. God is freely given to you. He's unlocking it in heaven in the name of Jesus. And as we begin to love God more, as we begin to love other people more, God says, I'm unlocking the wonderful things that are only just for you. They're for you. They're for your family. They're for your family's family. The Bible says the secret things belong to God, but when they are revealed, Deuteronomy 29, 29. When they are revealed, they belong to us and to our children forever. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's book, Your Divine Fingerprint, and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.